This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3141 for Monday the 17th of August 2020. Today's show is entitled Lessons Learned from Magic the Gathering Game Design and is part of the series Tabletop Gaming. It is hosted by Klaatu and is about 38 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is Lessons learned from Magic the Gathering game design. This episode of HPR is brought to you by Archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to Archive.org forward slash donate. Public Radio. My name's Klaatu. This episode's about game design. This is a hobby, I guess, of mine, officially. I guess I'll call it a hobby, which is to just kind of think about how games are designed, um, which I've been doing publicly on HPR for a while. You can kind of go back into the archives and, and uncover thoughts on games that I've had recently and i've been meaning to do more actually but i guess this one counts as as one um in in a way and and what i want to talk about today really are some some game design experiments or some thought experiments really about rules and and how how they can be applied to to different processes in maybe some unexpected ways so this was all it, it all started um when i was shuffling a deck of Magic the Gathering cards, kind of thinking about, I shouldn't say shuffling, I mean, you know, kind of flipping through a deck of Magic the Gathering cards, and thinking about how many, how how each card was its own rule. Um, People kind of say that Magic the Gathering is a, a very complex game with too many rules, or they say that it's a simple game, but it just happens to be really, really difficult to master. And, you know, I have lots of thoughts on that as well. I've looked at the uh, the design document for Magic the Gathering. It's really, really long. So saying that it's a simple game that's difficult to master, I think, is probably not super accurate. That's just my opinion. Uh, and there's different ways to look at that. But the the thing that stands out to me about Magic the Gathering is that the core mechanic, which is you pay mana or, you know, some value of an imaginary currency to send your cards that you have in a deck into battle. That That's the core mechanic, if you really think about Magic the Gathering. I don't know if that's what the Magic if that's what Magic the Gathering designers would say is the core mechanic. That's what I'm going to say it is, though, because that, that really is, that's the... That's the thing that remains consistent throughout every game, no matter what you play. I mean, every game of of Magic the Gathering, no matter what kind of deck you bring to the table. The thing is, each card offers a new opportunity for you to be surprised by some new rule that you didn't know was going to be in play before you drew that card. Every time you draw a new card from your Magic the Gathering deck, you don't know. If it's going to be just a thing that is, uh, you know, a bear that's got two power and two toughness, or whether it's going to be something uh, with the flying quality, so that, such that the, the the creature is now out of reach of other creatures on the battlefield, or is it going to be something that literally makes it impossible for you to lose? There's constant oscillation between playing by the rules that you 
know and legally breaking a rule or many rules with every deck you play. And then on top of that, there are new ways to break rules, or, or new rules if you prefer that to look at it that way, with every new set of magic cards released each year, or multiple times a year. I don't know how often these things come out because I don't actually buy them. Um, so that idea to me kind of was intriguing, and I thought, well, I wonder what other mechanics from Magic the Gathering, that one included, but I wonder what kind of mechanics and what we can learn from Magic the Gathering mechanics, what can we learn about game design from sort of really, really thinking about, or, or thinking of, yeah, thinking about game design from a Magic the Gathering perspective. So for instance, what if the Magic the Gathering team, Mark Rosewater and his team, what if they had designed, let's say, Blackjack? Blackjack played with a, a, a simple, a normal deck of cards. The the game ostensibly is quite simple, uh, and it's a good one. It's a very flexible game. I happen to actually quite be be quite fond of Blackjack. I think it's a I think in terms of simple games, I think it's 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 quite nice, but it's also flexible. I, I guess it doesn't have a whole lot to do with strategy, but but um, but I guess there is some. So. The, the goal of Blackjack, if you've never played it, is to get a hand of cards that is the closest to 21 without exceeding 21. That is possible. So if it's a single-player game, then you can just draw from the deck. You say, okay, well, I just got a six of hearts. Okay, so that's six. I just got a four of diamonds, so that's ten. I've got an ace here, which I guess is a one. I don't really know, so let's call that 11. Uh, another ace, uh, so that's 12. Uh, 12 and so probably probably draw yep nine of cl uh, clubs or clovers or whatever those things are and it's uh 21 exactly 21 so i i won that's pretty um phenomenal actually i, I that's really weird that that was a random card i mean like, that, that literally just happened like i was literally drawing cards uh, expecting not to get exactly 21 that's not usually how blackjack goes the point being though is is once you get to a certain point like you're i'm drawing again now 7 and 8 brings me up to 15 so that's a little bit a little bit dangerous right i could i could maybe say well that's really close to 20 it's, it's pretty close to 21 if i draw too high on the next one i will i will be out now i'm shuffling the deck trying to or, or kind of rummaging through this deck trying to find something that'll actually push me over the, the edge here yeah so there's an 8 so that would have sent me over the edge which would mean that i i lost now if i had said okay well that's my hand and i'm sticking with it, 7 and 8 for a 15, and I won't go any any farther than that. Then I draw that top card from the deck, and it's an 8, so I know in my in in my head as a single player that I've won, because I didn't draw that, I didn't take that top card, I, I, I held before taking that top card. If it's a two-player, obviously, it's it's just the same game, except when you're... You, the, the, it's the person who, who gets closest to 21 without going over. So it's it's sort of a, a, a chicken run, really. It's, it's, it's player versus player to see who's more daring than the other and who's going to hold first, or who's going to go over 21 and lose. So it's a simple, really, really nice, simple little game that, that is a lot more popular than it probably deserves to be. I mean, this is obviously a game that is played in Vegas for with lots of money on on the table and it's uh it's kind of crazy that such a simple such a simple little game like that um is is enduring and and very popular but what if the magic the gathering team had 
come up with blackjack? What might they have? How, how might they have designed it uh, instead? Well, we know that in in Magic we have lots of different uh, card types, right? We've got creatures and artifacts and spells and enchants, enchantments and instants and so on. Uh, with playing cards, we don't have that amount of uh, flavor, I guess, uh, but we do naturally have a certain uh, a variety of cards here. We've got diamonds, we've got uh, clubs and spades, and what's the other one? That other one that I can't remember right now. Oh, hearts, hearts, hearts. Um, so we've got, we do have sort of uh, different categories, and then obviously we also inherently have two colors. We've got black and red, so we do have um, an overlay. We have categories and sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, categories and type, or, or type and categories, or, or whatever. And what, what that gives us is a little bit of flexibility, because and instability for the players, right? Because now uh, a hand that got, for instance, what did I get last time? Uh, seven, no, six, four, ace, ace, and a nine is no longer just a six, four, ace, ace, and nine. Now, it's a six of hearts, red, a, a four red, a an ace black, an ace red, and a nine black. So that's now that's more significant, possibly. It gives us a little bit of flexibility. So as, as a first pass, the idea that I had was, well, first of all, the close, the, the proximity to 21, going over 21, uh, ending the game, that seems a little bit harsh to me. So I thought, well, um, aside from the completely uh, random uh, success that I had while drawing uh, cards recording this show and hitting 21 exactly, I think the likelihood of hitting 21 exactly is generally pretty rare. So what we could do is make the absolute win condition be 21. If you go over 21, you lose your cards. You, you have to put them all away or something. You, you, you discard all, all the cards in your hand. That's frustrating. But you're still in the game, and that's significant, because nobody likes to be ejected from a game, especially if they haven't won, if there's no winner. You know, if there's a winner, then everyone else should be losers, or if there's a loser, then someone else should be the winner. It shouldn't be one of those situations where, oh, you lose, you've lost your game, and now you don't get to play anymore. And that's kind of the model that, um, well, you know, a lot of those old family board games took. It's one of those things where uh, you lose and then you just don't get to play anymore. You have to go into the kitchen and uh, do dishes while everyone else finishes up the game. That's never any fun, so we'll we'll try to avoid that. So the the win condition is get exactly 21 in your hand at some point during the game. Lose condition is someone else got exactly 21 in their hand during the course of the game. That's it. Um, the the frustration is that if you go over 21, then you lose your you lose the cards in front of you. You have to discard them. They're out of play. A tiebreaker, should that somehow happen, I, I don't think that should be possible, but I'm kind of spitballing here. Tiebreaker would be how close to 21 you reach uh, upon. Well, yeah, sure. Like if you run out of cards, right? Because this is a this is now a longer game. So if you run out of cards, then you're gonna have to figure out. Well, okay, who won? Or just shuffle the deck and keep playing, I guess. But let's assume that if if you've gone through a whole deck, then everyone's gonna be tired of playing by then, and uh, the person closest to 21 will win. So the the idea with all the with with the the uniqueness of these cards is that we can we can assign certain attributes 
to the different kinds of cards. So for instance, should you draw a club, then maybe you could, uh, I don't know, take one card from your hand and add it to your to your opponent's hand, or to one, one opponent's hand, if it's a multiplayer game, so not just a one-on-one -on -one game. So you can take any card. If you draw a club from the draw deck, that means you can look at your hand and remove one from it and give it to your opponent, which could, of course, push them over the edge, right? It could push them over 21, they'd lose their hand, bang, they're starting from zero again. How frustrating would that be? Let's say you draw a heart. Uh, maybe the, the magic spell for the heart could be that you swap any number of heart cards in your hand with an equal number of heart cards in one of your opponent's hand. Uh, if you draw a spade, you could uh, sacrifice, because spades are like swords, right, in the uh, tarot tradition, so uh, you could sacrifice, uh, and by sacrifice I mean move it to the bottom of the draw deck, uh, the card that you just drew to move one card, so if you, if you do that, then you can move one card from one of your opponent's hand to the bottom of the draw deck. So it's give one, or yeah, sacrifice one to take one out, and so on, right? So you could, you could do that for each, each suit of, of cards, and shuffle your deck, and now there's there are these new rules that are only going to apply when you draw the card. When you draw the card, uh, then you have you have that opportunity to expend the spell that's associated with that card, and and then it becomes a mundane card and it just sits in your hand. And that's how that works. And you could play that game now. As I do it right now, sort of as I'm recording this, I'm realizing the two problems. One problem is that this isn't single player friendly. Um, this this wouldn't really the, the benefits that I've thought of more or less all depend on a multiplayer game. A lot of these benefits are meaningless if you don't have anything to trade or to, to remove or, or whatever. So or the strategy doesn't work. So that's one problem. The other problem is that there are things that don't have uh, suits, namely the Joker. At least the, this this Joker card that I just on the bicycle on a bicycle standard bicycle deck um, he doesn't have a suit um, and the uh, and and I guess the the face cards are kind of kind of being ignored under my current um, rule and so is the Ace really that that kind of that seems like an obvious one that could be could be given something special so a slight revision here will be that uh, there will be nine different effects. Diamonds, clubs, hearts, spades, queen, king, jack, joker, ace. And some of those obviously will be a little bit more precious than others. So the the ace, for instance, not not the ace, sorry, the joker, there are only two of those. Um, and, and even then, I mean, there are only only two queens and two kings, I think. Or there, no, there, there are four. What am I talking about? Four queens, four kings, four jacks. But I mean, that's um, that's different, certainly, than on any heart, on any diamond, on any club. And... Uh, since face cards have both the suit and their face, uh, we could say that the player gets to choose between which, you know, between the two spells that they that they cast when drawing this card. Uh, and we could introduce completely new mechanics as well. For instance, let's say someone draws a diamond, any diamond other than the face diamond. Well, including the face diamond, but that that would that'll complicate things because they might not choose this particular one. So diamond, you get to tap. That is to turn a card horizontal. Uh, into landscape mode instead of portrait mode in your hand. You tap a card, or you untap, you, you get the choice. A tapped card doesn't count toward your total. So if you draw a diamond from the draw deck, 
then you have the option to look at your hand and tap a card such that it no longer counts towards your uh, am i over 21 count to untap that again you need another diamond card now i don't know how realistic that'll be that might be too precious you know people might not ever want to tap a card because they know that the chances of them getting another diamond to untap it is just too um too precious who knows i haven't played t play tested this i'm just kind of making it up uh, as a thought experiment so clubs let's say that we draw a club you can take one card from your hand and put it into your opponent's hand. That's pretty straightforward, I think. Um, we probably need to define trigger conditions, but we'll just skip over that for now. Hearts, uh, we already said that. We said that hearts would swap. You could swap a heart for a heart between hands, uh, I think, right? Yeah, you can um, swap any number of heart cards to equal numbers of heart cards. Uh, spades, you can sacrifice one of your cards in order to force an opponent to sacrifice one of their cards. Uh, queens, let's make this a little bit memorable, and we'll use the uh, classic queen phrase off with their head uh we'll say that if a queen is drawn then you can force someone to discard rather you can um discard a card from your own hand let's do it that way so that removes it from play you put it in the discard pile the king uh will do the opposite uh that will force your you can force your opponent to discard one of their cards the jack will say you can swap all cards matching the card that you the color of that card that you've just drawn with the same color of cards in your opponent's hands. So if you draw a red jack, then you can swap um, your you can swap all of your red cards in your hand with the red cards of your opponent. That might be too niche. Maybe it'll be more like you can take any red card from their hand. Who knows? But something like that, right? Something to enable play off that color um, because we haven't really used the color for anything significant yet, and and do something with with sort of steel. Uh, for no good reasons, just why not? Uh, and then Joker, look at the top some number of cards on your draw deck and uh, place the cards anywhere back on the draw deck in any order. And the number of cards that you're able to look at is whatever number of cards there are, uh, whatever number of players there are in the game. So if you've got four people playing, you can look at the four cards on top, reorder them in any way you please, and then place them back on the top. And we sh there, there should probably be some function in there where someone can somehow get around that, um, but I can't think of one right now. I mean, that could be the function of the ace. You know, if anyone has... If, if someone draws, or, well, no, because the trigger condition is that you're drawing. Um, we could expand the trigger condition so that it's not only when you draw, it's when you take a card into your hand. When you when you are adding a card into your hand, the spell can, can go off. Uh, it doesn't go off if you're giving a card to someone or if you're discarding a card, but if you are taking a card from some place, whether it's the draw deck or an opponent's hand, then that spell triggers. That could be good. That could work. Uh, and then the ace maybe could be something either having to do with, I don't know, drawing from anywhere in the deck or something. That could work. Or it could be uh, having something to do with really screwing over your opponent by, you know, adding value to their card. So maybe um, we could just use counters like a d6, a six-sided die or something, and you can add a counter to one of your opponent's hands. So you're you're giving them points where, um, you know, to, to in some number. I mean, obviously, it would have to be controlled, right? Maybe the number of aces you have in your hand already. 
you, that's your max. Um, because obviously, if if you could just give someone any number of points, you would always give them six in hopes of pushing them over the the 21 edge. But um, yeah, so it, it would be limited by something, maybe by the number of aces already in your hand. I don't know. Uh, or or like I say, maybe ace could just could simply be uh, you know cut the cut the draw deck or or shuffle the draw deck. Now you're not bound if someone just reordered the top of the cards you're not bound by that anymore shuffle the draw deck take the top or you know and then and then continue the game uh, or or cut the deck and draw from anywhere in the deck that you please and then shuffle and continue something like that and that's that's um that's a potential remix of blackjack it's not necessarily the most simple remix i mean blackjack itself is a beautifully simple and elegant game so this this is definitely complicating it and obviously, th without any kind of clue as to which suit does what has what power, that's a little bit difficult to remember, and it's probably not practical. And this is exactly why, you know, g card games don't just use poker decks all the time, or blackjack decks, whatever these things are, things are called, you know, normal playing cards, right? They have fancy, cool-looking cards, and that's fine, with, with text on them to remind you what they do. Um, I mean, not... It would, nothing to stop you from writing hints to yourself on a deck of cards so that you're um, adding to the rules of, of a game or identifying the rules of a game. But um, that's that's kind of a that's an idea for blackjack. Uh, another idea that I had for blackjack, which was it's a lot more random, is just to make a chart of effects. You know, just I mean, some of the effects that I've already listed. You know, for the for the the different suits, but it could just be other stuff too, like shuffle the draw deck, swap all red cards with your opponent or with one opponent, um, take one card from um, from your opponent, take one card from your hand and put it in the hand of your opponent. They they cannot refuse. Uh, send all active face cards to the draw deck, shuffle the draw deck, that sort of thing. Um, just make a chart, you know, and uh, every at the end of each round, I don't know count up the count up the the um you know the first two cards of of each player's hand and and apply the effect that that equals or something like that or or you know count the um count the cards in the discard pile and apply an effect something like that i don't know um that was another idea that i had and i think i think there's something there too because that idea that just random dropping a bunch of random rules in the middle of a game has sometimes can have just really great effects. Um, I mean, it's a little bit, it's just chaotic, right? I mean, it is just saying, it's just silly. It's just saying, okay, now we're going to throw out all the rules for a moment, introduce something new that then you won't ever have to worry about again, and okay, now we'll continue to play. But I mean, games have been designed around that principle. You know, we've, we've seen that sort of thing um, with, uh, what is it, uh, Flaming Kittens and uh, Flux and things like that. I mean, there's totally, and even the wild magic charts in D&D, there there's definitely a, a, a game mechanic for Chaos Monkeys to just come in, disrupt everything, and, and, and make the game a different game for a moment, and then everything resumes back to normal, back as you were, and then the Chaos Monkey comes back in and everything's disrupted and and so on it's 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 not a bad mechanic uh, it's a little bit messy sometimes but but it is not a bad mechanic so the um the other game that i i decided to 
to think about in terms of, okay, well, how can we make it more, more um, maybe magical, more interesting, was the old, reliable, um, what is it, Parker Brothers, I think, game, uh, Monopoly. Monopoly has been around since 1935, and um, it happens to be about buying and selling and mortgaging and auctioning real estate. Um, it's sort of a feeding frenzy game. Like, the, the idea is that everybody descends upon the game board and just it's just a grab it's a grab for assets before anyone else can get them you you grab up as much as you possibly can and then you build up your houses and your hotels and you use the in the income from from those things to 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 get money from your fellow players you're just grabbing for as much as you possibly can for the whole game uh and and that's your motivation you are compelled to buy as much as you possibly can, and um, the game doesn't end until all but one player is bankrupt. So that kind of does go back to the to the this problem of well, if you lose your game, then you have to sit out for the rest of the time and watch your friends continue to play, and that's not very fun. But um, there are some modern you know what I would have thought were, were modern ideas in Monopoly, and and for this I actually went back and read the rules from the Monopoly, which I think famously not many of us have done. I know that I hadn't until you know like the other day when I was thinking about this sort of stuff. We all think that we know how to play Monopoly because we kind of got taught how to do it when we were kids, and so you just think, okay, well that's how you play Monopoly. But actually, uh, surprisingly, you know if you actually sit down and read the rules. There, there are a lot of sort of um, subtleties there. So, for instance, players can bid on an unwanted property square in this little mini-game. So if you land on a square and you don't want to buy it, then everyone gets to bid for it in this little breakout auction round. Who's ever heard of that? I didn't know that. Um, I mean, maybe some people did know that, but I, 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 never, I never knew that. Um, of course, there are two decks of special cards that provide random rule-breaking surprises throughout the game. So that's kind of cool. Um, that I don't know that that feels very modern to me but it is something that i'm talking about right i mean that's the whole idea of hey surprise there's this new rule that has suddenly come into play or or if you want to think of it as you know a way to break a rule that there's now you have now permission to break a rule temporarily for for a moment and then and then everything will go back to normal and the board itself does have a few potential pitfalls and misfortunes um and it is the board itself is a timer in a way, because once a player bypasses a square, you know, you don't land on it, but you're going past it, then you don't get a chance to to get that property until you until your next round your next in your next time around the board. So there's a little bit of randomness in there because you just don't exactly know where you're going to land. Are you gonna land on that property that you want? Are you gonna land on a property that someone else already owns and then you'll have to pay rent? for it on on that property so that's that's kind of cool like that's built into the the board that's the function of the board in a way the board is is it is the the resource manager or, or the the resource to be managed and the sort of an extra layer of randomness is providing provided by the board um so that's cool and uh you know the the problem i think with it is aside from people being sort of ousted upon going bankrupt 
uh, is that maybe it's not very fun, you know, <laughs> like it, it, it's, um, it's just not that magical, really. Like, it is supposed to be a game, so um, it, it, it should be, it should feel a little bit more, uh, I don't know, magical, for the lack of a better term. I mean, it's kind of on brand for this episode to say that, but, but in other words, it should feel more like a game and less like real life. And I think um, whether to sell board games or whether to give it that extra little boost of flavor and and feel uh, there have been lately you know heavily themed monopoly editions so you have i don't know like harry potter monopoly and star wars monopoly and all these other things of it's just monopoly but with a different you know different terminology for certain things and different little tokens that you move around the board so that you kind of you're supposed to i guess feel like you're playing a game like oh this is a, a a fun game and i'm not just moving an iron or a um a dog or a car or a thimble around the board isn't that fun so yeah i'm not i'm not a huge fan of of monopoly honestly and yet and yet there are elements there i realized as i was pondering all of this there are elements there that are um a little bit magic the gathering i mean if you really think about it there's resource management right that's one of the core mechanics of magic the gathering you've got got these these lands uh and not not property but you know a land card uh and and it's color coded um, and you only have so much land, and you know that you only have so much land, and you can only spend so much of that of the mana that you derive from the land. You can only spend so much of it per turn. So I mean, you know, you can spend it all, but then that's all that's all you've got. So you have to kind of you have to manage that mana uh, in relation to the the creatures that you have summoned. There's color coding in in monopoly uh there's potential for randomness there are cards that break the standard rules and that's a a pretty good set of stuff to to work with so first of all owning an imaginary title to an imaginary property is not very exciting um so in in the revision of monopoly that we'll create here uh is and I'm just kind of going off some notes here that I that I wrote down. I've not play tested this either. I'm just thought experiment. Um, so in this revised version, if you land on an unowned square, like an unowned property, then you can choose to purchase it as usual. Uh, and what you do is you place a token on it, like a glass token or something, a little bead, some some not not one of your player tokens, like something to represent ownership. So I guess a, a colored glass token that's assigned to you. Uh, and so you place something on the square to show that you own that square. Uh, we don't need the titles. We don't need the the the, the cards that that normally the banker player hands out to people. You don't. We don't need that for this this version because that's really boring nobody nobody likes paperwork so don't don't hand me a title for this property on the board not not interested and what you will get instead is something that you can spend uh not money but a a a card so either a chance card or a community chest card those are the two cards that get placed on the monopoly board you draw it from at random from a unified deck so all the cards are just shuffled together one big draw deck when you get a property you buy it and you draw a card you add that card to your hand you don't have to spend it right away should you land on property that you already own so it's already got your glass bead on it then you receive a new card for free so 
So these cards, they're they're the currency in a way, or they're they're the um, they're the ammunition maybe of the game, and you that you should get them fairly regularly. When an opponent lands on a square that you own, you must give them one card of your choice, and they must resolve the card immediately. Um, alternatively you may offer them cash instead. So should they accept your cash, then you don't owe, owe them a card. Uh, should they decline your cash, then you must give them a card. If you have no cards left, then no transaction takes place. There's no penalty or anything, but um, that's that's how that goes. So there, there's the, the randomness now is being introduced in two different ways. Number one is where you land, whether you land on a property that you own or a property that your opponent owns or that no one owns and someone gets to buy it. But you also have this randomness of, well, am I going to give the opponent a card with some crazy effect on it or am I going to try to bribe them so that they don't take my card? A little bit of uncertainty there. The game ends when one player goes bankrupt. So if anyone goes out if, if anyone runs out of money, then everyone stops. That's the end of the game. Each player resolves all the cards in their hand, good or bad, for themselves, and the player with the most money wins. There, there's some detail there that's a little bit missing. For instance, the, the color of the property doesn't really seem to matter. Um, what do you do when you land on a chance or a community chess square? Do you go to jail? How do you get out of jail? Is that even a significant thing? Should we bother with that? Um, but the card gambling, the card mechanic with a little bit of gambling with these proposed bribes, I think there's something there. Um, the one one major detail that's not here is how do you get more money? So I, I, I'm not quite sure what the economy of this game would look like yet. I mean, it might be enough in the community chest and the chance cards to generate income. Like, I, I haven't looked at the game in ages. I don't have a copy of it, so I do I, wasn't able to look at it um, for for my redesign of it, which is not a great way to redesign a game, I don't think. But that was an idea that I had was just um, you know just sort of like re restructure the game so that it's about the cards instead of about the property. Really uh, use the property purely for randomness and purely for um, event uh, event triggering and uh, do something with money. I'm not like I say I haven't really thought about that part yet. Um, it could be it could be that landing on someone else's property generates income somehow, just like in the real game. I'm not really sure how in the real game you actually make all that much money either. Like, I mean, I, I know you, you buy property, uh, and I guess you just keep you keep buying property. I just don't know, like, once all the money is in the player's hands, how do, how, how is there, how do you ever get money out of the bank? That That's the part I don't quite know about from the game. I, I did read the rules, I just don't remember. I don't remember it saying anything about where new money came from. And that's fine, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. The, um, the important thing here is this idea of, Breaking rules, creating rules to break rules, and uh, focusing the game on, or, or restructuring the game such that element of surprises happen. Because surprises are fun, like they're they're terrifying, and they're fun. And I think that games that leverage that frequently are well more fun to play than, for instance, games that uh, model themselves out of uh, off of like real life moments. And some people like the real life stuff because they get to strategize in ways that that yeah maybe they um, maybe they've they've not really thought to do before. And and if that's fun for some people, then that's that's great. That's really neat. But for me, that's not very fun. So uh, I think redesigning some of these games with with some of the magic, the gathering mechanics, I think it's 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 a lot of fun. 
uh, and I encourage you to take a game, if you have game, take a game off your shelf and um, and try to redesign it. Like, look at the assets that they gave you, and then just start throwing things at it, whether it's a, a list of wacky effects to sort of like add on to the existing game exactly as it is or whether it's completely redesigning the game i did that with a, a game called grim slinger uh, which was this uh, card game it was a kickstarter project and i picked it up in a, a gaming store while i was traveling because i thought it might be cool to to bring back home with me and and play and uh, we played it, and it was really bad. It was, like, really a bad game. And so I, I sat down with it finally one night, and I just, I using, like, this, this thought experiment, and uh, came up with a couple of different new versions of the game, which, I mean, you know, I think to some degree you're limited by the assets that you have. You know, like, this particular game was heavy on assets, actually. It had, like, uh, several different kinds of cards, and I just, I couldn't, it, it, there was there were such diversity in the cards that it was difficult then to create a system. Like, the playing, a standard playing deck of cards, I mean, it's just got to be one of the most perfect, perfect things in the world, right? Aside from a tarot deck. A playing deck is just so perfect because it's got the the built-in uh, thing of color. You got two different colors, and then you got the four suits, and then you got number values, and you got a couple of exceptions with the face cards, and a couple of exceptional exceptions with the aces and the jokers. It's just kind of kind of the perfect game design tool. And if you're interested in this sort of thing, I do kind of highly recommend just grabbing a playing a card a playing card deck because it's it really is kind of phenomenal what you can do with it. I mean, it does break down after a while because the the rules aren't on the media and that can be difficult to then remember what the rules are if you're trying to design something very complex. But as certainly as a prototype or as something where you don't mind referencing some papers on the side, it's a perfect, perfect tool. Um, but yeah, I do encourage you to take a game that you don't like or a game that you do like and try to redesign it and see what happens because it is a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, if nothing else, it's a good evening of entertainment. So give it a go. See what you come up with. And if you come up with something really interesting, record a show on it or, or at least email me and tell me about it because I, I might be interested. That's everything that I have to say about this. Hopefully this was either, I don't know, interesting or, or inspiring. And uh, thanks for listening. I will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.